It's May 23rd, 2019. This is Acacia Thompson from Brooklyn Public Library's Greenpoint Oral History Project for Our Streets, Our Stories. I'm here today at the Leonard Library on DeVoe Street in Greenpoint, Bro not in Greenpoint, Williamsburg, Brooklyn, with Victoria Cambranis, progressive activist and candidate for our next council member seat in District 33. Hi, Victoria. Hi, how are you? I'm well, thanks. So tell me, how long has your family been in Greenpoint? Uh, so my dad moved here in 1970 from uh, northern Guatemala, from Paten, uh, which is where he was born. And my mom moved here in 1980 under the uh, refugee amnesty from Poland. Um, so this was during the time of communism. No one was getting a visa to come to the States. And she was one of two people in Warsaw that year who got a visa to come. And so having grown up in the neighborhood, can you talk a little bit about how the environment had an influence on your life and your family as you grew up really close to the waterfront? Yeah, so uh, I grew up in the northern tip of Greenpoint, which has a very sordid industrial history, manufacturing history um, over the last century and a half or so. And uh, I actually went to school on DuPont Street, across the street from Newhart. Um, so I was in the park across from Newhart every single day as a child. And, you know, growing up in an immigrant community, the Polish community didn't really know about environmental issues. Um, they can be a little isolationist in, in that regard. Um, and so we weren't really aware of what was around us and the effects it might have on us as kids and, and the adults as well and all of the moms who were pregnant and having children at the time. So it was only a little bit later when I was a teenager that we started to hear stories of people who were dying of cancers um, under the age of 50, you know, or under the age of 40 even. Um, children who had developed um, issues very early on, leukemias, cancers, um, as well as just general learning disabilities and sort of delayed development as well. There was a lot of those issues in our schools. Um, and, you know, a lot of people decided to move away as well. Um, when this sort of trend started to come to light in the community, a lot of people chose to move to New Jersey. I know a lot of my schoolmates that moved out to Jersey, to Long Island, as well as Massachusetts or Florida, um, even Chicago. Chicago has a huge Polish community as well. Um, so yeah, it was it was a gradual process of learning about what was going on. Um, but you know, I've I've always been worried about what we were uh, breathing in, what we were touching in the ground, in the playground, and stuff. We were very active kids, you know. We didn't really have laptops and iPads and things, so we had the dirt to play in and. We touched everything, so. <laughs> right, do you have any memories of Newhart operating? Um, so I don't think Newhart was too active in the 90s when I was growing up. Um, but we did hear stories of kids who would um, run out onto the street when Newhart would open its chimneys um, because they thought there was snow coming down during the summer and they would catch the snow on their tongues. And um, yeah, and they thought it was great fun and of course, none of the adults really stopped them, which seems bizarre to us today, but back then they figured, eh, it's just a, something in the air, you know. Well, you live a couple blocks from the waterfront. Yes. So what was access like growing up 
to the waterfront? Oh my gosh, I actually have some really fond memories of the waterfront growing up. Um, so when I was really little, the piers were still um, intact. So my dad would take the car out and he would drive all the way to the edge, to the very edge of the piers, because they were, they were perfectly intact. And uh, then when I started to be around maybe like 10 or 11, 12, um, so this was, you know, late 90s, um, I started to see the cracks and they were falling apart and then falling eventually into the river and disappearing. Um, but yeah, my dad would take us out there and my brother and I were very close in age. He's a year older than I am. Um, we would spend all afternoon there in the summertime and just, you know, dangle our feet off the pier and um, look at Manhattan. <laughs> so it was, it was really nice. Um, but we, you know, we never fished there or anything because my dad worked for the DEP, so he was very well aware of what was in the river. <laughs> well, talk to me a little bit about the changes that you've seen since you were growing up mm. environmentally in the neighborhood, how, how it's changed, you know, for the better or the worse, or how development is, is changing the neighborhood. Sure. So it's a big question. Um, I think in general, there has been a lot of movement in the last 20 years, uh, especially to clean up Newton Creek um, and to have uh, more federal, state, and city dollars put into the neighborhood pertaining to our water systems, our air quality, and especially now in the last two years with lead in the soil. Um, so that covers you know, three sort of main environmental areas that Greenpoint has really suffered from. Um, and there has been a lot of really, really good activism, really, really good work. I mean, I, I always think back to Irene Clementovich, who was actually my dad's landlady when he first moved to Greenpoint. And um, so she would always stop him in the hallway and they would talk for hours and hours um, about you know, the treatment plants and everything that was sort of going on environmentally. She was an amazing, amazing, uh, she still is an amazing activist, um, although she's not as active anymore. Um, but yeah, so I, I remember those stories and I remember my parents you know, having long conversations about you know, what are we gonna do with the treatment plant? Um, what's gonna happen with the incinerator? Um, because my dad was, uh, I guess, kept abreast of a lot of the politics at the DEP and at the city level, um, he used to do a lot of translations for Giuliani as well, so um, he kind of heard a lot of things. And he was a, a bit vocal at times, um, but that was quickly squashed. <laughs> um, they didn't really want people who were raising their voices about these sorts of things. Um, and also the, the DEP has historically just been not very good <laughs> in terms of environmental issues. Uh, so it was a very frustrating time for my dad. He, he retired a few years ago now, but um, he, he did have a lot of information that I think our family was much more informed than a lot of the local families were. Right. And um, I guess coming to the question of, you know, what, where does that leave us today? We still have a long way to go. Um, Newton Creek is, is not really even halfway there, and there's still active dumping. Uh, there was just a report out this week about two extra um, active oil dumps. Um, there's also, we're learning there's a huge issue with a lot of the construction and the development. So we've long suspected that because 
the cement trucks that um, turn the wet cement, if a developer miscalculates how much he ordered for the day and he has wet cement left in the trucks, they have to dump them before the trucks get back, otherwise it dries inside the truck and they lose a truck. Uh, and some of those dumping stations are all the way in Long Island, so they choose the creek or they choose our sewer systems. And so this is something that we're starting to see all around Greenpoint now is our sewers are getting blocked. And it's my suspicion that it has to do with these illegal dumps. So we have that issue. And there, there's still a lot of active you know, dumping of garbage and just waste, the manufacturing waste in the creek. Um, I think the DEP and DEC definitely has to step up and uh, whatever money we have from the GCEF, and Superfund cleanup money, I think absolutely has to go towards more, um, more active surveillance of what's going on. I think that would be our best use of resources. That way any kind of cleanup efforts are not being backpedaled or reversed. Um, and then the other thing actually is having to do with air quality. So we've been uh, meeting with a, a local group of activists and young moms especially who are very concerned about their children and their health and what they're breathing in in the air. And this goes back again to development. So a lot of this, these materials, the asbestos, the lead, um, the construction materials, and even the contaminated soils uh, in the ground, they were kept in place for you know, 50 to 100 years. Um, and so when I was growing up, we really didn't have that problem. We had a problem with the incinerator, we had a problem with the treatment plant, but it wasn't a localized air quality issue. It was sort of over the entire environment, right? Um, but now, because of all of these new developments, they're kicking all this stuff up. They're uncovering everything that was covered up for so long. So without the proper again, surveillance and, and uh, looking at what people are doing on the ground, um, and which requires manpower and budgets and, and a lot more resources than we currently have, a lot of people are getting away with not following the rules. And they have been doing something, um, essentially uh, coupling all, all of these violations, these stop work orders, when a neighbor calls 311 says he's you know cutting cement and not not washing it or spraying it down it's going into my windows you know all, all sorts of different violations they issue stop work orders they work through them they issue violations they're fifteen hundred dollars a pop and so what they do is they couple all of these uh, violations and and uh, bills and then they'll send their lawyer to court and he will walk down or talk down the, the total price and they you know they write it off as a business expense so this is yeah very common tactic for these bigger developers and so when it comes to enforcement and issuing stop work orders um, there's very very little that we can do and that the city can do to stop bad actors who want to keep repeating these violations and we have a few some big ones. <laughs> well, how can we how can we fight that? Because it seems like you know the city and the state haven't always been the best champions of us in Greenpoint and haven't mm -hmm. really protected us. And how can we demand more of them? I mean, Greenpoint's really 
been very active um, advocating for themselves. But you know, like, what can we do? Right. So um, we have some names of people in different departments um, who we'd like to work more closely with and keep a, a better eye on. Um, people who issue permits, especially for North Greenpoint. There's one main point person at DOB. Um, so we're going to try and follow up with him and with the councilman's office and perhaps state senators and assemblymen and um, ask some questions. You know, why are you still issuing permits to people who have stop work, who have six, eight stop work orders? Um, so I think there's, there's something there and also just violations being dismissed uh, with, with absolutely no reason why. Um, and th so that's one level of it. The other level is uh, the city council is, is currently on a mission to do a lot of, um, to issue a lot of new laws that have to do with uh, improving tenants' lives, improving um, construction, safety and things like that. And that is all very well and good. We need those pieces of legislation. But when the DOB doesn't have an extra budget, it doesn't have extra personnel, it doesn't have specialists to deal with these new laws, none of that means anything. So we absolutely have to ensure that DOB, which has historically been underfunded on purpose, by design, in order for them to be frustrated and not be able to do the work. That has to be reversed. I think if any money or any budget needs to be dedicated to one single agency in this community, it's the Department of Buildings. And after that, I would say working closely with the DEC, which does have jurisdiction over the DEP in a lot of uh, instances, um, the DEC is right across in Long Island City, and they've been very, very, very good um, with being a community liaison and just communicating a lot more than the DEP does. Um, and so I think working much more closely with the DEC and seeing how, on a state level, if we can legislatively give them more power um, to enact uh, projects and changes that must be implemented by the DEP. I think that would be a really powerful change for our neighborhood. Well, so what else uh, have you been thinking about lately in your activism? Because you're at every meeting. <laughs> you're very involved in the community. I try. <laughs> so what issues currently are you working on, are you concerned about? Mm. So this year is definitely the year of the tenant. Um, we have... Um, rent regulation laws, uh, rental laws that are about to be expired in a few weeks. Um, it is a really, really big concern and a huge opportunity as well for us to uh, strengthen those laws and ensure that tenants have more rights. Um, but as much as there are tenants in need, there are, you know, I'm a, I'm a pragmatist in this way. I believe there are good tenants and I believe there are bad tenants, just like there are very, very bad landlords, and there are very, very good landlords. And so, um, you know, pushing through legislation with one fell swoop is not always the best thing for on the ground. 
uh, healthy people's everyday lives. And the only reason I say that is because I'm currently working with a group of small homeowners, so small building homeowners, mainly uh, two to six family homes, who have been experiencing um, an issue with adjacent development. So this actually goes back into a tenant issue as well, because if these buildings are destroyed by an adjacent developer, their tenants have to be evicted as well. So everyone loses, right? And so what we're seeing with a lot of this development uh, and lack of enforcement by the DEP, or sorry, DOB, um, lots of acronyms, <laughs> is that they will not have a party wall agreement with their next door neighbor. They will not even inform them that construction is about to happen, which is against the law. They will uh, bring them to court so that a judge issues uh, permission for the developer to enter into your basement. They will do their own engineering study for you. It's also not, not technically allowed. And without a party wall agreement or some sort of licensing agreement for usage of your basement to ensure structural stability on his side or her side, uh, that means that you're left with no rights as a homeowner. And what that also means is that the developer can dig uh, uh, down under a basement level, undermine your foundations, do an underpinning, which means they'll pour cement under your foundations. Most of the time that leads to cracks and instability. Um, and we're seeing a lot of landlords who simply don't know their rights. And they don't know uh, what they have a right to in terms of having a proper construction lawyer um, to issue a licensing agreement and having uh, your own engineering study, both of which could be paid for by the developer through the licensing agreement. So you don't actually have to pay for it in the end, but you have to come up with the cost up front, which is another issue that um, we're trying to work with, with the assembly right now, with Joe Lentall, in issuing two bills. One is uh, a historic bill that he's tried to pass for many years, which is to create an escrow account to be able to pay for those um, engineering studies and lawyers so that you can um, have these uh, homeowners who maybe their only asset is their building, right? And it's generational wealth being passed down. Uh, these little abuelitas in, in Bushwick may not have, you know, 50 to 60K to spend on a lawyer and engineering study. So hopefully if we can um, speak to the Housing Committee in the Assembly and State Senate uh, before the end of June, <laughs> Uh, we can get that rolling. And then the other bill is called the Homeowner's Bill of Rights. And it is uh, something that is a first step sort of legislation. It's not um, a big bill or a huge change, but what it is is an educational tool. So what the Homeowner's Bill of Rights is, is a pamphlet with all of the information that you might need pertaining to acquiring a construction lawyer and a, um, an engineer, a construction engineer to do a study, uh, knowing what your rights are pertaining to adjacent development, how much time you're supposed to have in order to secure all of these things, as well as other resources and um, information about how to contact your legislators and representatives. And that pamphlet is supposed to be sent out by uh, the Department of Buildings within 30 days 
of the permit being issued to a developer. So, so it's at least a leg up for, for people who are starting from zero. Yeah. Right. So homeowners are getting organized in Greenpoint. Exactly. In reaction exactly. to everything that's yeah. happening and changing. And it's a, it's a citywide issue. We have partners down in Fort Greene, Crown Heights, which is going through a lot of changes right now, not for the good. Um, and people in Bed-Stuy and Bushwick, they're all sort of coming to us and saying, hey, can I come to your meeting? <laughs> you know, um, And it, it's wonderful to see that our action is actually resulting in legislation as well. So we're very proud of that. That's great. Well, mm -hmm. so is there anything else that you'd like to say about Greenpoint? Oh dear, a lot. <laughs> um, I love Greenpoint. You know, Greenpoint is um, is very much my hometown, um, and I always thought of it as a town. Uh, when I was little and growing up here, it it felt a little bit like a village. You know, we would look out onto the city in Manhattan, um, and we would think about all of the things that were going on there and all the lives important things that people were doing there. And we very much felt like we were a town on the outskirts of a city, you know? And now, being a, a little bit older and everyone having heard of Greenpoint in Williamsburg now, even around the world, when I say I'm from Greenpoint, people are like, oh, I know where that is. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very changing atmosphere, but it still has a lot of that charm and a lot of that character. And that's what I would really love to preserve. I, I want that sense of community. And community changes, people within it change. But what doesn't change is that sense of having roots and having that town mentality of, okay, we, we all have these resources. We all have our neighbors. Um, if one neighbor needs help or needs a know, a bit of sugar, it's up to us to extend that kind of hospitality. And that kind of character for me is what makes Greenpoint a really special place. Well, thank you for sharing your story, Victoria. Thank you.